0: 2, and we're going to read today Hebrews 2, 5 to 9, Hebrews 2, 5 to 9. We have been in the book of Hebrews now for 10 weeks, and we start making progress. We are in chapter 2, verse 9. That's good. Um, as Just to refresh our memory to, to know what we're talking about, uh, the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish people who became Christian and then they wanted to go back to Judaism and abandon Christ. And the author of Hebrews wrote that book to them to tell them not to do it because he argued that Christianity or Christ is superior than Judaism and he did that almost for the first 10 chapters and then he gave them some practical tips. Why, how can they live their Christian life now and endure persecution and not be drifted away from the faith? And that was pretty much the focus of the last portion of chapter 10 all the way till the end of chapter 13. Um, So far in these 10 weeks, we have seen that the author of Hebrews in chapter 1 verse 1 to 3 was arguing that Christ Jesus is superior to the prophets. And then from chapter 1 verse 4 till all the way to to the end of chapter 2, which is... Verse 18. Now, that's almost two full chapters. The author of Hebrews is arguing that Christ is superior than the angels. And in the midst of that argument that he's presenting to his readers, pretty much the first four verses of chapter two, he paused, he stopped his argument. And he gave his reader the first warning. That's one of five warnings that he have throughout the book, encouraging his readers to really stick to the faith and really endure and never waver or never think about leaving the faith or abandoning the faith to go back to Judaism. So today, well, we just studied that first warning last week. Today, we're going to pick up where we left like two weeks ago, his argument that Jesus is superior to the angel's. We have seen from chapter 1 verse 4 all the way till the end of chapter 1 that he has presented seven scriptures from the Old Testament to argue that Jesus is superior than the angels, not even from the New Testament and what we know about Jesus, but also purely based on the Old Testament. We see that Jesus is God in his nature. He's the creator of the angels. He's the one that the angels worship and serve. Now he's picking up the argument again from chapter two, verse five, all the way till the end of the chapter. He's arguing that Jesus is superior to the angels in spite of his humility and in spite of the fact that he came down and and became human for a little bit. So we pick up from there. um, That's chapter two, verse five to verse nine, for he has not put the world to come. That's what the author of Hebrews said in verse 5. For he, that's God, has not put the world to come, of which to speak in subjections to angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you should take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels, you have crowned him with glory and honor, and you have set him over the works of your hand and you have put all things in subjection under his feet." Now that's a quote from Psalm 8, and from that part of verse 8 here, the author of Hebrews started his own sermon on that portion from Psalm 8, and he continued that sermon all the way till the end of the chapter. So he said this, "'For in that he put all all in subjection under him, "'he left nothing that is not put under him. "'But now we don't see yet all things put under him. But what we see is Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little bit, for a little while. For the suffering of death is crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Amen. That's the portion we're going to stop at today. In verse 5, he said, For he did not put the world to come, of which we speak. What is the author of Hebrews talking about here? He's taking us back to chapter 1. Many times in chapter 1, he talks about that world to come. He started in verse 2 by referring to Jesus being the heir of all things, right? And we say the heir is not just the legal owner. He is also the future owner, right? So the fact that the author of Hebrews in verse 2 saying Jesus is that future heir of the world to come. He referenced the world to come first time in verse 2. In verse 13, he quoted Psalm 110 verse 1. And he said that the son now is sitting at the right hand of God till, till everything is put under his feet or his enemies are put under his feet. When is that going to happen? In the world to come, in the future. And then in verse 14, he talks about the angels and he said they are ministering spirit sent forth to to, to minister, to serve those who will inherit salvation. We talked about that as well. When is that going to happen? In the world to come. So he's picking up where he left from chapter 1 here. And he said that this world to come will not be subject to any of the angels, but it will be subjected to the Son of God himself. Amen? That's why Jesus is superior than all the angels. Because none of the angels will have rulership on the world to come that belongs only to one person and that is Jesus. Thus, he is far more superior than all the angels. Amen? It is very interesting. Uh, One of the commentators, F.F. Bruce, was saying this. It seems that The administration of the world that we're living in right now kind of belongs to angels. For example, in the book of Daniel, we read about the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. We read about these two angelic princes who have dominion over these two nations in a way in the book of Daniel. Actually, Paul himself also in Ephesians chapter 6 He talked about how we are not fighting with flesh and blood. Our spiritual warfare is not just against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers. And against what? The rulers of this dark age, right? So it seems like the scripture is telling us that the administration of this world and the administration of the evil world that we're living in can be... Uh, entrusted to angels especially the power of darkness have rulership, have dominion over this evil and wicked world. Amen? But that is not the case in the world to come. Amen? The world to come, there will be no angel who has rulership there. It only belongs, the rulership only belongs to the divine son of the living God. Amen? So that's why Jesus is superior. Because nobody will share his kingship in the future. He will be the sole king and the sole ruler. Moving on, now he's trying to support his argument, that's what the author of Hebrews is doing, that the kingship of the world to come will only belong to the Son of God. So he quoted a verse, a scripture from the book of Psalms, chapter 8, verses 4 and 6, to support his argument that the future kingship of Christ or the future kingship of the world to come will only belong to Jesus. And he said this, One spoke in times past, that's in Psalm Psalm 8, and he said this, Who is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you would think of him? You have put him a little bit lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. Amen? And he quoted that, that, the author of Hebrews quoted that here to argue that Jesus is superior because he will be king over the world to come. Now, we talked about that verse extensively, and it's, I just looked back, we did that almost a year ago, on July the 23rd of 2017, we spoke, I had, I had the whole sermon about this, how does, when we talked about shadows of Golgotha, we, t- we talked about that from Psalm 8, and how... The Son of God, even from the Book of Psalms, we see that the one who's ro- Lord over angels became lower than the angels, so he can go to the cross. If you remember, if you don't, go back and listen to that sermon in back of July of last year. It's on our website because that's when I did like in-depth study and comparison of Psalm 8 and how it was quoted by the Book of by the author of Hebrews. With that, I'm not going to go back and try to do the whole sermon again. I figured if I do it, probably very few are going to catch it, but <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I just want you to go back. I'm going to highlight a small few things here so we can pick up the argument of the author of Hebrews. You guys are with me so far? Okay. In Psalm 8... It seems like David was thinking about the account of creation. If you remember this stuff, David was thinking about the account of creation. He was thinking how God has created man. And then he said, Wow, when I God, when I look at the works of your hand, the heavens that you have made, the works of your finger, what is man? He's saying, I am so small looking at your creation. What is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man, in David's mind, when he say man or the son of man, he's talking about the same person, right? You and me, right? Or the son of man that you would visit him. You have made him a little bit lower than the angels in rank, right? Angels are superior beings than the human being when it comes to the account of creation. You guys are with me? So he's saying, you have made him lower than the angels and you have crowned him with glory and honor, right? So when David was reflecting on the account of creation, could and, and meditating and writing Psalm 8, think about this. In his mind, God making the man a little bit lower than the angels is the exact same thing as crowning him with glory and honor. You guys are with me? Right? Let, let me repeat that again. Make sure you're with me. David is looking back on the account of creation and he said, God was so little that human Grace is so little in comparison to this magnificent universe that you have created. So what is man? He's so insignificant that you are mindful of him. Or the son of man that you have visited him. And then he said, when God created man, you have made him lower than the angels in rank. The angels are spiritual heavenly being, but the man is an earthly being. You have made him lower than the angels and you have crown him with glory and honor by making him ruler over your creation. You guys are with me? So that's the exact same thing. Now, when the author of Hebrews quoted that verse, that scripture, and he applied it to Christ, he kind of like had his own spin on it. And if he's under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, has the right to do so. Amen? So the author of Hebrews, when applied that to Christ, he was actually referring to three different events. Something happened in the past, Something is still happening in the present and something will happen in the future. You guys are with me? He's Now he's applying that verse to Christ and he said, Jesus, this man, this son of man was made lower than the angels. That's in the past, right? When he incarnated and was a human. You guys are with me? And we see him now crowned with glory and honor. That's a present separate incidents. You guys are with me? And in the future, he said, we will see everything subject under his feet in spite of the fact that we don't see it now. Amen? So this is not at all the intention of the psalmist David in Psalm 8, but the author of Hebrews took that verse, applied it to Christ, and he had his own spin on it, which is absolutely, praise God for it, wonderful. Amen? You guys are with me? You understand how he interpreted Psalm 8 when he applied it specifically to Christ. You guys with me so far? Yeah. Now, another thing here, which is very important to his argument throughout chapter 2. When David quoted in Psalm 8, said about man, that you have made him a little lower than the angels. David obviously was talking about the rank, right? Angels are heavenly beings, they dwell in heaven, but man is made from the dust, is an earthly being, dwell on earth. So when David said that God has made man lower than the angels, he's talking about being lower in rank. You guys with me? Now that Greek word that used in the Septuagint can either mean lower in rank or lower for a little while. Like he's just for a short period of time. Can either refer to the rank or refer to the time. Okay? Now the author of Hebrews precisely said when he did his interpretation of Psalm 8, that Jesus was made for a little while, a little bit lower than the angels. You guys are with me, so he even though the word carries both meaning, and even though the psalm the psalm is minted as rank, the author of Hebrews pinned it in a way to say, yeah, yeah, it means rank. But what I'm saying, when it's applied to Christ, Jesus was made not lower in the rank than an angel, which he was made in this way, but it was a temporary thing that happened to Jesus. Amen? So he's saying that Jesus is superior to the angels in spite of his humility and his humanity because the fact that Jesus was made human was temporary, was not a permanent thing. Amen? And now the same Jesus who was made lower than the angels will see him at this very moment crowned with glory and honor above all the angels at the right hand of God. Amen? And not only that, but in the future, everything will be subjected under His feet, including all angelic beings, right? As a matter of fact, everything in the world to come will be under subjection under the feet of the divine Son of the living God. Amen? Amen. You guys see the argument of the author of Hebrews that Jesus is superior in spite of his humanity because his humanity was temporary in its nature. It was not a permanent thing. Amen. But in spite, this is so good. In spite of the fact the author of Hebrews arguing that the humanity of Christ and his humility was temporary in its nature, it was eternal in its purposes. You guys are with me? That is the whole point of chapter 2, pretty much. He's saying this, and in spite of the fact that the humanity of Christ was temporary in its nature, because he said that Jesus was made only for a tiny little bit while lower than the angels. Amen? And In spite of the fact that his humanity was temporary in its nature, it was eternal in its purposes. Amen? Amen? And from verse 9 all the way to the end of chapter 2, he's telling us how the humility and Jesus becoming human like you and me has absolute eternal purposes. Amen? And he highlighted five eternal purposes that has been accomplished through the temporary humility of the Son of God. You guys are with me? Do you see how his argument is just so good and super smart? Amen. Now, he goes on to present five eternal purposes that was accomplished through the humanity of the Son of God from verse 9 all the way till the end of chapter 2. The first purpose, eternal purpose that was accomplished, we see in verse 9, the very end of the chapter, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Amen. That's the first purpose. Amen? Amen. Okay, I, I need more than this. Just Amen. one person won't cut it for me. You know, he, that he might taste death on behalf of everyone. That's verse 9, the very end. Amen to that? Number two, the eternal purposes of the temporary humility of the son of god is that he was made perfected as a captain of our salvation through suffering we see that in verse 10 here is what the author of hebrews says for it was fitting for him that's the father of whom for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering amen That's the second eternal purpose. The third eternal purpose. That Jesus will not be ashamed to call us brethren. Amen? That's verse 11 to verse 13. Here is what he says. For both... He who sacrifice, he who sanctifies, that's Jesus. And those who are being sanctified, that's you and me, are all of one nature, the human nature. Amen? That's why He was human for a while. So He can be just like us. For which reason? Because Jesus was just like us. For which reason? He is not ashamed to call us brethren. Amen? Saying, now the author of Hebrews is quoting three different Old Testament verses to support the fact that Jesus was human just like you and me. This, because of that, is not a shame to call us brethren. And we see hints to that in the Old Testament. Saying, I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. And again, the second quote, I will put my trust in him. And the third quote, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Amen. We'll discuss that in details in a few weeks. But the third eternal purpose of the temporary humility of the Son of God is that now, this is so good. This is just praise God. Jesus is not ashamed to call us brethren. Amen? Number four, so he can destroy the work of the devil. We see that in chapter 2, verse 14 to 16, in as much as, again, the purposes of the humility of the Son of God, in as much as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, were human, he himself likewise shared the same, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Amen? And release those that you and me who because of the fear of death spent their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he gave aid to the seed of Abraham. Why? Because he's just like them. He was just like them at one point. Amen? The five and final eternal purpose that the author of Hebrews still in us that was accomplished through that temporary humiliation of the Son of God is that he can become a merciful and gracious and faithful high priest. Amen. Verse 17. Therefore, in all things, why in all things? Because he was just like us in all things. Amen. Therefore, in all things he had to be made like his brethren that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are being tempted. Amen. I don't know about you, just reading this passage and sitting down, it can't get any more powerful than this. Amen. It's just as good as it gets. Amen. So, this is what we're gonna be talking about for the next few weeks. We again, the author of Hebrews is arguing Jesus is superior than the angels in spite of his humility, because his humility was temporary in its nature, but was eternal in its purposes. We're going to look into the first purpose this morning. Amen. The first purpose we read about in verse 9, so that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Amen. Amen. That's 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. 13 words. This right here, these 13 words, summarize the Bible. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 21. If you want to summarize the scripture in 13 words, just right here. Amen? That's the gospel, as condensed as it can be. Amen? The very reason why Jesus became human became human, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. There's a little bit of a twist to this, this phrase. So let's get this out of the way. By the grace of God, in Greek can be by the karatai, that's the Greek word for grace, of God. But there are some other readings available. It says that he is karas. Instead of karatai, it says karas, which means apart from God. So there are different readings to that verse. The first one is, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. The other reading is, so that apart from God, he might taste death for everyone. The second reading, apart from God, is only supported by very few manuscripts. But it has a lot of support from the church fathers. A lot of the church fathers, when they quote that verse, they quote it like, so that he apart from God, might taste death for everyone. Chances are, so that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone is the more accurate reading, but it's just, you know, it's a matter of 60%, 60%, 40% here. Amen? If we understand it as, so that Jesus, apart from God, might taste death for everyone The idea here will be that Jesus was forsaken on the cross as our substitute. Amen. Forsaken by the Father. Which is not such a foreign concept in the scripture. We studied that extensively in Psalm 22. When when, when the Psalms start by saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus himself uttered this word on the cross that he was forsaken by God. So if you want to understand it as so that he, apart from God, might taste death on behalf of everyone. It's still plausible. Nothing wrong about it we just go with the grace of God. Most of the manuscripts go by this reading. Amen? So this is what we're going to study. So here is the number one eternal purpose that was accomplished when Jesus was be- became human even for a short period of time, for just a little while. Jesus tasted by the grace of God death for how many? Everyone. And here the author of Hebrews is highlighting three main points. Number one, that Jesus' death was the reason of his incarnation for his humility. Amen. Number two, that Jesus' death was an act of the grace of God. Amen. And number three, that Jesus' death was for everyone. You ready for me to start preaching? Okay, (laughs) I'm kidding. We're almost done. Um, let's say the three points again. I just, if you don't remember anything, just remember these things. Just remember that phrase. Go home thinking about that. That he, by the grace of God, came down to taste death for me. That's, that's all what you need to know today. Amen. This is as powerful as it gets. We learn three things. Let's say it together. Number one, that Jesus' death was the very reason why He became human of His humility. Number two, that Jesus' death was a pure act of the grace of God. Amen? And number three, that Jesus' death was for everyone. Number one, Jesus' death was the very reason of His humility. This last part of verse 9 starts by this. So that he might by the grace of god taste death right so that what does this connection here tells you tells you that what's happening after is based on the re- of what was said before right he did all of this so that he might taste by the grace of god death for everyone if you go back with me and read verse 9 together here is what it says we see Jesus who was made a little, for a little while lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that he might, by the grace of God, taste death, right? So that he might taste death is not based on the immediate thing that precedes it, which is crowned with glory and honor, amen? It actually depends on the one even before that, the suffering of death. It goes like this. This is what the author of Hebrews is saying. But we see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor. And the reason why he was made lower than the angels is that he could suffer death so that that he might taste by the grace of God death for everyone. You guys are with me? So that phrase, so that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone is dependent and the result of the phrase that says that Jesus experienced the suffering of death. Amen? In other words, what the author of Hebrews is telling us is this, the reason why Jesus was made for a little while lower than the angel is that he has every intention to suffer the suffering of death. So that he can taste death on behalf of everyone. That's the very reason why Jesus left heaven and came down to earth. So he can taste death on behalf of everyone. Amen? Amen. This is mind-blowing. Mind-blowing. Think about it. I was just thinking about it yesterday. My dad, we grew up in Egypt. And my dad, when we were in Egypt, he just thought the world in America. He just he wanted to get me and my brother out of Egypt as, as hard as he can. He just thought that we'll be better off moving here to the West. And there's like the lottery thing that the government does every year. And I think for 15 years, faithfully, my dad will apply every single year for every one of us. Because he said, anyone gets out of here is good, right? He just wanted to get anybody out, all of us out, whatever he can do, he's happy. He just want to do something about it. But think about that. He was intentional and everything he was trying to do is to improve our lives, right? At least from his perspective, right? He wanted to do better for us. He wants us to do good. Nobody really in their sound mind will choose something that can end up being bad for them, Right? If you do it, you're not really the brightest of all, right? People do dumb mistakes, but that's not good choices, right? A good choice should usually improve your condition. If the choice you make worsen your condition, usually that's not a good choice, right? Think about that. Jesus is the divine son of the living God for all eternity. Multitudes, thousands, even millions of angels worship him. He doesn't need to come down to earth. He doesn't need to go to the cross for any one of us. He doesn't have to choose the cross. He is God in His nature. Everything that has breath in this universe, praise and exalt His matchless name. Amen? Amen? Amen. But He choose. Look at this. He chose to leave all that glory, to come down to earth. Not just to live as a king like a lot of people live. He choose willingly to come down to earth. For the sole purpose. To go to the cross. I don't know about you. This is mind blowing. Right? That he will leave all this glory. Come down to earth. Not just to be king over all the kings of this earth. Or be the master over every master in this earth. But actually to willingly choose to go to the cross. So he can die and taste death on behalf of Every one of us. Amen? Amen? This is the love of God to its absolute climax. You can, you can never see any love greater than this. Jesus came down that he might taste death. Obviously, this is a figure of speech. It li- it literally means this: that Jesus experienced death in all what it is, and it was used many other times in the Scripture. The idea here is that Christ, because he even was sinless, he did not experience any sort of sin like any of us. Because of his sinlessness, this this realized, he even realized more the awfulness of death in a way that none of us could. Could even imagine. Because Christ was absolutely pure and sinless. Amen. He tasted the awfulness of death. On behalf of everyone. Amen. Amen. Now the very fact that Jesus came down from heaven. Willingly and purposefully. So he can go to the cross. Is not just the author of Hebrews idea here Jesus himself said that in Mark 10 45 he said this about himself for even the son of man came not to look at this not to be served but to serve and didn't stop there but also so he can give his life as a ransom for Many. Jesus said this is the very reason I have come so I can go to the cross and be the substitute for many. To endure and take upon myself the very judgment of God that they rightly brought upon themselves. Amen. Hebrews 9, 26. The author of Hebrews later tells us this. For then, if, if Jesus was like the Old Testament high priest, who had to offer sacrifices every, every year, for then, if he was like them, he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But, but as it is, he has appeared once. He came down to earth once at the very end of the age. Why? Why? To put away sin. How? by the sacrifice of Himself. The author of Hebrews is telling us the very reason Jesus came down at the very end of the age is that He can sacrifice Himself and put away sin once and for all. Hebrews ten nine to 10. He's quoting here Psalm 40. We talked about this as well before. Behold, I have come to do your will. Jesus is talking to the Father and saying, God, here yes. I am. Coming to this world to do your will. Here is the reason why Jesus came to this world. To do the will of God. And what is this will of God? This, is, If we keep reading... He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been satisfied. What is that will? Through the suffering, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. This is the very will of God. That people like you and me will be sanctified through the death of Christ. Yet Jesus said, for this very reason, for this very will, I have came down from heaven. So I can go to the cross. So I can be ransomed for many. So I can put away sin. So I can sanctify those who even don't deserve. To be sanctified, amen. I came down, Jesus said, that I might by the grace of God taste death for everyone, amen. That's why Jesus died on the cross. The very reason, the very reason, the very reason Jesus humbled himself and became human is that he can go to the cross, and that's what the author of Hebrews is telling us. But the second point that the author of Hebrews is telling us is this that Jesus' death was an of the grace of God. Amen? He said this, so that he, that's Jesus, might, look at this, by the grace of God taste death for everyone. Amen? In other words, what the author of Hebrews says, that none of of us deserved that Jesus will come down from heaven. Amen? None of us deserved to earn that love from God. None of us deserved to be the recipient of that kind of mercy, that kind of love, that kind of grace that God has shown us. God did it only because He's a good God. He did it only because He's gracious to us. He did it not because we deserve it, but because He is such a loving and merciful and gracious God. Amen? None of us deserve it. It's a pure act of God's love and God's grace. Amen? John 3.16. Can you help me out? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. The cross is, a, is the demonstration of the love of God. As a matter of fact, God so loved the world. His love to this world was so great, so huge. It can only be measured massive sacrifice that Jesus has done for us on the cross is the greatness of that sacrifice that Jesus has accomplished for us is the only measure to the greatness of the love of God that he has for this world that he has for you and for me amen that the cross is an act of a grace of God is the act of the love of God is the act of the mercy of God that's all Sometimes when they go out and witness, people argue and say, it just doesn't make sense. Why would somebody who's innocent die on somebody who's guilty? Yes, if you look look at it from the perspective of justice, it's not justice that an innocent person, the divine son of God, will die in your behalf and my behalf. Amen? But the cross is not just an indication of the justice of God. The cross is the indication of the love, the mercy, and the grace of God. Amen? It doesn't make sense from a love perspective. It only makes sense from a love perspective. Amen? That Jesus might, by the grace of God, taste death. For how many people? Everyone. Everyone. There are, say, 7 billion people in this world. How many of these 7 billion people do you think Jesus has died for? Every single one of them. Every single one. This is mind-blowing, Right? Well, let me just tell you something. The very fact that Jesus needed to taste death for everyone tells us that everyone is subject to death before the holy and righteous God. Amen? Think about it this way. If only 75% of this world are subject to the judgment of God and 25% can actually make it on their own, Jesus would have not needed to die for the 100%, right? He would only needed to die for the 75% who messed it so bad, right? But Jesus didn't die for the 75%. Jesus died for the 100%. You know why? Because it doesn't matter how good of a person you are or how bad of a person you are. We are all guilty before a holy and a righteous God. Amen? And because we're guilty, we are subject to the eternal punishment and the wrath of God. We're all subject to that eternal death. That's why Jesus came and tasted death on behalf of everyone. Everyone, because every single one of us is under the judgment and the wrath of God. Amen? Amen. This is good news. Jesus died for you and we say it, we mean it. This is not just a Christian Sunday morning stuff. This is the truth. This is the good news of the gospel. Jesus died for you. But not only that, we learn that not that everyone is subject to death. We also learn that the death And the blood of Christ is sufficient to atone for everyone. Amen? Amen. Now this is as good as it gets. Amen? Amen. Not a single soul in this world has committed sins bad enough for the blood of Jesus to cleanse. Amen? Amen. I'm a news junkie. And this morning I woke up on on, uh, a notification popping on on my phone from BBC that there was a bombing. They bombed three churches in Indonesia this morning. And it was one family that did that. This is just as this Mother's Day, as disgusting as it gets. I think the family of five, if I understand it correctly, actually it might be a family of six. Father, mother, three boys, and then two younger children. So that's six people, right? Seven, seven. So the mom took the two kids and she went and blew herself and the children in one church. And then the father... I guess, went to other two churches and they blew them up. Three churches was blown up in Indonesia, the second largest city in Indonesia this morning. Eleven people died. Now, this is evil. As evil as it gets for a mother to be willing to do that to her kids. This is just as evil as it gets, right? But I'm just still thinking about that verse, that Jesus, by the grace of God, tasted death even for that lady. Even for that man, even for the kids, it doesn't matter how wicked or how evil they are. Jesus loved them so much so that he was willing to come down from heaven intentionally and purposefully go to the cross. So he can die on their behalf and take upon himself God's judgment so they can have life. Amen? He have tasted by the grace of God death for everyone. I don't care how sinful you are today. I don't care how much you have done. I don't care if you're a murderer, if you're a serial rapist. I don't care what you have done in the past. The blood of Jesus is here this morning to cleanse you from every sin. Amen? Amen. Let's close our eyes and pray.